Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about the yeses and nos to achieving those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Scott Coombs, head of JPAC Public Sector Marketing at Google Cloud about how marketers should think about marketing to the public sector. The public sector is probably one of the hardest sectors to break into with long sales cycle, multiple decision makers and a complex sales environment and I'm super excited to chat with Scott and hear his advice on the topic. On that note, let's dive in. Scott, thanks for joining us. It's okay. Great to be here. Absolute pleasure having you, Scott. Uh, super excited. So let's let's dive in. As I as I mentioned, the public sector could be a tricky one. It's it's probably the hardest sector to to get into, and uh, followed by probably financial sector. What would you say is special and different about marketing to the public sector? Look, I think when you're talking public sector, you're talking government, education and healthcare, um, traditionally. And these days, there's also emerging tech such as health tech, ed tech, even gov tech, where um, you have, you know, these new entities just coming up servicing that sector. But when you look at it today, you need to understand as a sub-vertical goes, public sector is the fastest moving digital transformation vertical globally. And and the emergence of COVID has really just fast tracked that as well. So what we've seen is all the traditional barriers to, you know, making change in the public sector and even when marketing to them. And I'm talking, you know, the quality of the people, speed to markets, a lot of the process and rigors, they've all been thrown out the window as education institutions had to learn how to educate kids remotely overnight. Call centers all of a sudden, we're going from 500 a day to, you know, 5,000, 50,000 a day. And they're just a couple of small examples. But you, you really have seen the public sector have to move incredibly fast. And most importantly, they've got funding and the right people from a government perspective, particularly to support them in this change. So all of a sudden, it is an area of hyper growth, but also high expectations from the community. So as a result, the service levels that they've had to provide both pre and post COVID has meant that this change has had to happen fast. And particularly the big tech players have had a really significant role in that. So if you were ever going to get involved in marketing to this sector, this is actually a pretty cool time to do it. Interesting. I, a lot of people kind of shy away from from public sector, uh, and and uh, and, I, and I love how you phrased it and and uh, and give perspective to what is happening in this in this scene. What is some of your advice to so somebody? Let's say somebody has done, they've they've done 
marketing to the financial sector and marketing to the, I don't know, mining sector, basically private sector or, or verticals. And they're thinking about now, oh, you know, I can I can now go and, and start marketing to the public sector. What would be some of the things that you would tell them to keep in mind? Some of the legacy roadblocks around both selling and marketing to the public sector is still there. So the buying cycles, yes, they can be a bit long. The process um, in terms of documentation, etc., does take time. There are a lot of certifications and accreditations when selling to these groups. You need to make sure they're in place and work with sales to make sure that that happens. So, but apart from that, I think people underestimate the size of the opportunity and also the capability of people within those organizations who really want to make that change. So historically, where it's been difficult, both engaging and executing, I think that these days it, it does move a lot faster. And But the basic fundamentals, they do not change. And if anything, the, the classic problem solution marketing holds truer than ever. Regardless of whether you're going to education, healthcare, government, what's the one thing that's keeping them up at night? And there are a lot at the moment. And how can you help them solve for that? So you'll have a lot of just even local governments really going to old document filing systems to putting everything digitally so that people can access them remotely. And so they need a document AI solution and they need it tomorrow. So, you know, how we can, can you work with them and market to them and say, we know that this is your issue and this is how we can help you solve it. That's a very basic example, but it's very true within those markets. Got it. I want to come back to one of the things that you talked about that you know, motivation for change needs to be there and needs to be strong enough. Otherwise, you kind of get stuck. I'll, I'll come back to that. But I also love to hear about some of the key aspects of your go to market strategy at Google Cloud when it comes to the public sector. What are some of the key components that you, you have to have in that in, in that GTM plan? Well, look, when we talk Google Cloud, and I, I use this analogy a lot because I like it, people think that Google Cloud is slightly late to the party, but from my perspective, we're the best dressed. And so in, in that regard, you know, it's a really exciting time to be marketing our solutions to the public sector because, you know, particularly when we lead with our AI and machine learning solutions. So um, with that, from a pure marketing perspective, though, the organization, particularly in APAC, is very new. I literally am setting it up from scratch. I've been there a bit over 18 months. So I'm actually building a marketing startup inside Google Cloud. So therefore, um, look, it makes life very interesting, but it also makes it pretty challenging in terms of the basic fundamentals around data, your MarTech, even just the basic vendor relationships, building out your business management systems, all of those things we're sort of building as we go, which is definitely keeping us on our toes. I think from a, a pure marketing perspective, the, the things that I suppose you do regardless of segment, getting your basics right around getting air cover through digital and third-party events, okay, and then getting that next level down in terms of making sure that, you know, you've got much more targeted activity. For me, it's actually very much focusing around the CXO role. So what I'm actually trying to do is how does every activity that we do ultimately link into that piece? So at the moment, I've launched a roundtable series, which actually involves 
content creation, where we interview the CIOs, as an example, before they actually attend the roundtable. That becomes content for a microsite that drives attendance. They actually want to turn up <laughs> and awareness as well. And then we run the roundtable, but then we also work with sales. Post that, we do two to three hour technical workshops, which bridges the gap between thought leadership and actual sales conversion. And then we bridge it back to every single big ticket event that we do. Has it got a C-suite target group as part of that? Otherwise, we don't invest in it. And if it does, how does that become a feeder into your CXO program? So all of a sudden, that sort of that C-suite, and don't get me wrong, the buying cycle in public sector is significant. But if you really want to influence key decisions, how you impact and educate that C-suite and then build all your other activity around it, you know, that that's what I'm trying to build at the moment, particularly when you've got classic challenges around real content from customers, challenges around contactability, getting the right people at the room. The more you can get everything working together, the more effective they all will be. I really like what you just described there because I feel like a lot of people looking at massive organizations like Google or Microsoft or AWS and so on and so forth think that, oh, there is this all this stuff that are happening that they're executing. And in some cases they are, but... I, I love how succinct this go-to-market strategy is, where you talked about, all right, we'd have some air covers, that's that's there. And then what we're really relying is that these interviews and then turning them into roundtables and, and, and progressing them from, 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 from there. Is there, you know, is there a reason there are not all the bells and whistles there and, and you're super focused here? Look, I think just it's it's a resourcing challenge as much as anything. But when you're talking... Any Asia-Pacific market will tell you, you know, you're doing Australia, but then New Zealand's slightly different as well. And then you're doing India, but even with India, certain parts are very mature on their digital journey. You go to tier two, tier three cities, slightly different story again. Even within Southeast Asia, you've got your mature markets um, like Singapore, but then you've got the crazy emerging markets like Indonesia and Malaysia. Very different go-to-market in terms of the story that you tell within those markets, but also the vendors you use, the way you engage. Then you've got what I'd call more traditional markets like Australia, Korea, Japan, where they are established. So you're really looking at win-back marketing, for want of a better word, So rather than sort of those emerging markets, which means that even if a simple content syndication digital campaign gets very complicated and very expensive very quickly and that messaging won't work in each of those markets either so i think you know you need to be having generic messaging and doing it you know having one potential digital campaign for mature markets and then one for emerging can work to a certain point but then you've got complexities of language and visuals etc i do believe that's COVID was great in terms of the virtual events that were out there because they were a great way to get your story to people at scale. That was much more cost efficient. But now we're in a situation of digital fatigue. Everyone wants to meet face to face. So we need to pivot. You really use that opportunity. For me, it's still, you know, the core ultimately is whatever sales tell you they want. The reality is they want proper leads that convert to revenue. So they may want the big ticket brand campaigns, but they're just saying that because what they really want is the end outcome. So the quicker you can get to that through a C-suite conversation is really important. I love that. I love that. Do you find that you need to modify the C-suite conversation for different geographies? And what I mean by that, I mean, you did touch on this, but what I mean by that is, do you find, for example, in the markets that are more mature, 
like Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and, and Korea that you mentioned, you have to go one level lower than, than the CX level. And in some of the other geographies, you, your focus has to be at that innovative thought leader as a, as a maybe CIO level or a, or a C- CDO level. How, how, how do those kind of d- two geographies, do you, do you see any differences there? Oh, look, they're massive, but the, the key th- in terms of, so what, even what CXOs in emerging Southeast Asia, you know, they're talking around smart nations, you know, sort of in their digital transformation. But the reality is they're just trying to move their stuff from paper to digital, you know, and they're just starting that journey. And then you've got um, obviously much more complexity in the mature markets. The, the key thing for me is don't try to overthink it, okay? That's what you have a sales organization there for. So it is, okay, this is the core theme. We want to talk around transformational cloud. And we're going to stick with data cloud and security because I know they're the two fundamentals that are consistent across the region that, you know, that the C-suite have to address. And then talk to your sales team and say, okay, what are the discussions you're having with sales and how can we adapt the agenda, et cetera. So let them, you know, have a say. Everyone wants to be a marketer, as we know, <laughs> sales included. So so let them actually be part of the building out the agenda because they know what works. And you just got the balance between towing the corporate messaging line and making sure that we, you know, we control the narrative, but don't be prescriptive because sales know what works and knows what, what they want to say, particularly on those sort of more tailored discussions. So let them help you drive that discussion. I do hear this this theme quite a lot from some of the things that you've mentioned, and you just you just put it, uh, you mentioned it yourself. Don't don't try to overthink it. I feel like as marketers we do that quite often. And it's, <laughs> it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole. It's a tough gig. I mean, you look at look at the average marketer today, and every even every tactic, let alone every small campaign. You got to take it to market, and then you've got well, that's great. Even if it's a basic event, and then what's the digital component? How you integrate social with that? Is there an AR and a PR angle off the top of that? How are we actually going to integrate the messaging with all the other things we have going on? Oh, by the way, how are you going to measure it? How are you going to track it? What are the privacy issues that you've got to deal with? You know, and, and it just and then you've got to brief that to sales, etc. You know, so I think the the it is very easy to get very complicated very quickly from a marketer perspective, and there are valid reasons for that. But at times, I think it's important that we don't forget of what's the one thing we want to get out of this engagement and don't lose sight of that. And the other stuff will take care of itself. I love that. Let's let's change tact a little bit, and, and, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into the government sector itself. How, how do you change your approach when you're dealing with local state or federal government? Yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) So look, Australia is a really classic example of this. So you'll got, for for starters, they'll generally have different buying entities, number one. Second, they'll also have different agendas. What the federal government is going to be spending its money on could be very big ticket transformational change, okay? State government will be different again, and then local government will be different again. But each of these will actually have even different states, their own certifications, you know, accreditations and data privacy requirements. So you need to get all of those set up. So even in Australia at the moment, you know, we'll work differently with the New South Wales government and the Victoria government, et cetera, to make sure that we tick all those boxes. So that is the the tricky bit. In terms of how you deal with them from a solution and a marketing perspective, 
I think it's look, it's slightly different than other traditional B2B marketing in terms of analysts, particularly at the federal and state level, have a much bigger impact. So if you traditionally, when they put anything big out to tender, they will always use a Gartner top quadrant, who's ever in that solution, they will be one of the three quotes that they use. In government, they call it the cover your ass quote. (laughs) And the idea (laughs) being that, you know, whatever they put up, they should measure against what Gartner sort of says is the best. So you need to make sure that you've got that in the back of your mind. If you are top contrary, you push it as hard as you can. And if not, you enable sales in terms of in the messaging that you have to bridge any gaps. So I think that's really important. In terms of more state and local government within those, it's slightly different again. What we are seeing is that social doesn't have anywhere near as big an impact, particularly things like LinkedIn. I think that the public sector, particularly government, aren't as active on on portals such as LinkedIn, etc. So the way that you engage is going to be slightly different. That definitely does change. But it also means that you have to be very targeted. So the role of associations in particular, but also, you know, you need to be going to where they are. Ultimately, digital programs only get you so much. And so your ability to run multiple events in multiple states is the reality in terms of getting cut through with these people. Because particularly in government, but also public sector, relationship is even more important than it is in other verticals. So it's really important, particularly I'm seeing post-COVID, is that everyone wants to go back, meet these people face-to-face. Trust is a massive issue when dealing with the public sector, particularly around things like data. And people want to understand your solution and how you mitigate any risk that they have, and they want to hear it face-to-face. So that's really important. I want to come back to the face-to-face thing. You talked about associations are important. What did, when it comes to state and uh, yeah, well, local I and state? Well, I just think of you know, classic data challenges, classic marketing challenges we have in terms of data and contacts in particular. So one of the things, particularly for myself, because we're trying to build out and we're going up against um, some other large organizations, is how do we partner with people who already have a relationship with the customers that we want to engage? And so what we are seeing is that federal, state and local governments, they have industry bodies, they have associations, and they have been around for a long time. So how do we better engage with them? And then also that very much works the same way in terms of vendors. There are probably half a dozen, I just use Australia as an example again, half a dozen sort of core vendors within the public sector arena. Some do things better than others. So how you actually use them, because they have already the relationship in the marketplace, people know what events they want to go to, depending on who they're run and how they're run. So it's important that we understand that when we're marketing to those groups. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. You also talked about how important face-to-face and relationships are in this space. Do you find that it's, it's heavily reliant sometimes on the salesperson and the connections that they have. And that, that's a very big factor. Or you're like, hey, that's just a great value add, but there are definitely some other components that, that move the needle. No, uh, look, yes, sales obviously always own the relationship. But as marketers, you know, we always have to wear that what new doors are you opening hat, for want of a better mm-hmm. word. So where we are organizing, even, you know, there's a massive demand for more face-to-face events at the moment, but it's not the big ticket ones and it's not the one to few. What we're seeing is that sort of, 
60 to 80 sort of group, but not too big. There's definitely uh, people are sort of going quite a bit more to those types of events. So where we can provide an environment where they can bring their customers and I can also get new customers is where we see probably the the best synergies, um, I think. Our best advocate is when we run a round table with 10 people, 12 people, and two of those are our customers. And if they're telling people how good we are at what we do, that will tell a better story than we ever will. So for me, you know, in terms of a marketing activity, that's very much Nirvana. I love that. I love that. What about... You talked about Gartner, and I'm guessing, you know, Forrester is potentially the yep. same thing. What about the GSIs? You know, what about global system integrator, integrators like, you know, Accenture and KPMG or big consulting firms like McKinsey? And is there, is, it, is there a play there or when it comes to either federal, state or local or not really? Absolutely. You know, they, it again, depends on the, the market and the region. You look at somewhere like India. GSIs have a massive role in any digital transformation project. and But in Australia too, definitely, you know, I don't like to name names, but yes, we're definitely doing work with, with some GSIs literally at the moment. It's really critical from a relationship perspective. It's also very critical as Google Cloud in particular starts to build out its credibility in the marketplace. So when we are... You know, partnering with GSIs who already have those relationships, customers, you know, we really want to work with them to showcase particularly our sort of emerging tech, the AI machine learning part of Google that really does sort of make us stand out from a lot of our competitors. And we use that as a great angle to get in the door. Interesting. Do you find like you have to create even marketing campaigns for the GSIs? Or you go based on like, hey, relationships of who knows what. And, uh, and If I had the resources, I would. I think that it is a massive opportunity, particularly in my vertical. But look, I think, you know, marketing organizations, particularly from a people perspective, they are very, very lean. And, mm. you know, even the, the ability to have specialists around digital, ABM, you know, to be able to then have a partner organization with dedicated GSIs, etc., would be fantastic, but probably still a fair bit of way to go from a resourcing standpoint just yet. Got it. Got it. Okay. The last thing I want to touch on are mistakes. And these could be mistakes that you've maybe um, you, you've, you've made or you've seen other marketers make when dealing with the public sector. What, what comes to mind? Look, the, the most obvious one is that when you're using your case studies, customer success stories, whatever you want to call them, okay? Cross-vertical examples don't work historically. And also cross-global examples don't work historically. If you're looking at working with government entity in India, they want to know, show me how it's worked in my industry, my vertical, my sub-vertical. Show me how it's worked in APAC and ideally show me how it's worked in India. Okay, and if you can't do that, then it's just not relevant. Now, the exceptions to that will be things like research, where if you've got a case study with CERN out of the US, of course, they're going to listen to that because that's really cool. (laughs) But ultimately, a great solution is one thing, but, you know, your ability to, you know, classic problem solving marketing, how have you implemented this within this market and transformed and changed a business for the better and show me how you've done it. 
and ultimately, can I talk to that customer? <laughs> if it's cross, you know, if we're going to sell a solution that we've done in India and there's someone in Australia, can we get them in the same room? That works very well. Right. In the same room. Jeez, that that sounds hard to... Uh, oh, well, it is. I mean, it just come through COVID. <laughs> but again, you know, we just, we had a, a government group from overseas. We're doing a, a big tour of a sort of a three-day tour and they came into the office for a couple of hours we showed them around you know sometimes it's just making sure that when they are doing these trips all self-funded by them that we're engaged with them and when we get a chance do we get customers in the room that can tell their story you know it just starts from there got it got it you talked about kind of cross global doesn't work are there within the maybe APAC or, or JPAC region, are there regions that kind of that maybe cross global work? So for example, do you find that if you bring examples from the work that you've done for companies or, or government entities in Singapore, Malaysia is like, oh yeah, that's relevant to us or yeah. really not? That still I think, doesn't apply. Look, Southeast Asia, absolutely. In terms of, and even look, Southeast Asia and particularly the emerging sort of parts of India, they're very similar in terms of they're their just on that hyper-growth digital transformation stage. So if yeah. you can show me it works, that's fine. One of the interesting ones is that some of the healthcare solutions that we see out of the US are considered best of breed globally. So, And particularly markets like Japan and Korea, they, they're very keen to, to see what they're doing there because they consider those markets really strong. So, you know, again, it's it just depends on... Yeah. Not just the, I suppose, the country or even the region, but the challenge that we have. If it's a unique challenge that we've only sort of resolved in the US, then um, then potentially it will work. But on a mass scale, if you're going to do any sort of content syndication, etc., at that level, it just does not work. Yeah, forget about that. Scott, I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. But before I do that... Is there anything else that you think it's important about, again, marketing to the government sector, to the public sector that maybe we didn't touch on or I didn't ask? No, I, I think don't be put off, number one, by, us, you know, it's just, it's got a terrible brand, for want of a better word, in terms of marketing. To the, <laughs> if I said marketing to the public sector, everyone would go, no way. And I said, well, actually, you're going to be marketing to industries who are moving from a digital transformation standpoint, faster than anyone else globally. They have resources, they have budget, and they have to move fast. You'd be like, yeah, I'm in. By the way, it's government education and healthcare. But, you know, doesn't matter that, do it anyway. So I, I think we need to definitely change our mindset. There are some amazing pieces of work and individuals that are driving this change. And it's a really, really important time and a you know enjoyable time to be a part of it. Love it. Love it. Have you read the State of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. Okay, let's do some rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you is what is one resource, could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is, that had a, had a fundamental impact on the way you work or you live uh, that, that really sticks out for you? It was a mindfulness TED Talk. And I think, actually wrote it down. It's a guy called Andy Puticombe, I think it is. And 
it talks about, you know, all it takes is 10 minutes. So I'm actually a, a massive fan of mindfulness and I literally do only do 10 minutes, but I just do it most mornings. It's amazing how often we forget just to be present. So it introduced me to the, the concept of that. And yeah, I'm a big fan of just the, the concept. I think there's so much stuff going on in, in our lives that sometimes we just need to sit still and just focus on the moment. Even if it's just 10 minutes, it makes a difference. I love that. It's 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 hard. How do you how do you make it stick? How do you make that ten minute a day stick? I it's like anything routine. So you know it's that get up in the morning. Generally, before you do, you know, get into that work side of things or anything else. Early is better, particularly when the sun's coming up because there's not a lot of noise, so you can hear treat you know the birds and all that sort of stuff and they're really important Mm. as you sort of start to sense the world around you and really just getting into that and i've got the same 10 minute track on youtube that i listen to plug in you know one headphone and then just do it every day it works yeah love it i love it we gotta we gotta get that 10 minute track from you yeah. By the way, I'll I'll, I'll organize the team. The voice is terrible, but it works for me. <laughs> we gotta we gotta hear it. We gotta hear it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Question number two: If you could give one advice to B two B marketers, in this case specifically those who probably are, are looking to target public sector, what would it be? One bit of advice. I mean, as I said before, the, the, the obvious one is don't be put off by it. But I think don't underestimate the size of the price. So I think that from a, a marketing perspective, you want to have real impacts and you want to go to your basic ROAS, POAS and all the, the lovely return on investment metrics that we we love to use as marketers. You know, you can drive opportunities that, you know, can drive significant, you know, seven digit deals. And as marketers, you don't get to do that very often. And it takes, yes, a bit more time and a bit more diligence and a lot more working with sales. But it also will be one of those things where you will see, you know, definitive outcomes off the back of it, you know. So it's a good opportunity. Love it. Okay. Who are some of the influencers you follow, Scott? For me personally, I'm not a, a big follower of, follower of a lot of the sort of, I suppose, the tier one influencers. For me, my biggest influences are actually peers. I do quite a bit of mentoring as well and seeing what, the next generation of marketers are coming up with. So I actually follow a lot of what they're doing on LinkedIn and that inspires me more than anything else. I just think, you know, that the average marketer today was so much more capable than, you know, 15 years ago and just what they deliver with the technology that's around it, just their overall capability blows me away. So for me, it's actually peers and people that I've worked with and that have worked for me, they're definitely my inspiration. I love it. Last last thing, last thing. What is something that excites you about the B2B or the B2G world? Look, I, definitely the people. And as I said, I think that's the capability and the output of today's marketer is mind-blowing compared to, you know, even just sort of five, ten years ago. So I think mm. that, you know, with the, the complexity of what we have to do, and I touched on the multiple channels in which you have to take a campaign to market, the multiple stakeholders, local sales, you, you'll have global marketing, etc. And the ability to constantly stay ahead of the game. And then when COVID hit to do everything 
pivot on its head. Oh, by the way, everything you have to do has to be digital. How are you going to do that? And now we walk out the back of that and everything has to be hybrid. So it just doubles your workload and people just plow through with that. It's just mind blowing. So I think the the people and the way that they continually do what they do and just get better, that's the most exciting thing. Scott, this has been an awesome conversation. I've, I've definitely learned a, a, a lot of things and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to take a lot of insights away. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Samito with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make this show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just interested in a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.